I, I've got three, uh, four. <laughs> I've got four children now. Uh, boy. Um, and uh, I, I really love being a parent. I mean, Christy and I feel like it's one of the best things, but also one of the most difficult things uh, that, they're, you know, that we've ever done. We're constantly challenged as parents. But one of the things that's the most frustrating for me right now is my boys will be off in their bedroom and then I can hear an argument happening. And, and uh, you know, it gets louder and louder and louder. And then I, I either have to go in or they come out and they're like, Dad! Jeremiah did this, and then Jeremiah's like, no, I didn't, William did. And so there, and then, and then, you know, you just have to play like referee slash Judge Judy, you know, like you kind of have to, like, you're listening. And what I've discovered is that I never really quite get the full story. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm always getting part of the story. I get part of the story from Jeremiah, and then I'm like, oh, I don't know if that happened that way. And then I get part of the story from William, and I'm like, ah. I know that's your perspective. And so I have to try to piece it together. Um, it's hard to piece something together when you only get part of the story. And I feel like as a parent, I'm never getting the whole, the whole story. And uh, I feel like uh, I was thinking about that today when we were just we're continuing on with this sermon series. Because in this sermon series, we're just calling it 2020 because um, for obvious reasons. <laughs> but, uh, but because it give, we, we, need a, we need a perspective, a big picture perspective of what the Christian story is all about. Because I feel like um, is we often just get part of the story. We get it in little pieces. And maybe, maybe that means you grew up going to church and so maybe you went to Sunday school perhaps. But then maybe after you, know, you got to middle school or high school, you kind of started to do your own thing. And so maybe your vision of the story is kind of like the Sunday school version of the story. Um, or maybe, I don't know, maybe you grew up in a weird sort of environment where people were around you and they called themselves Christians, but but they actually weren't, or they had just some like really backward version of Christianity, and so you got that piece of the story. Or even if you grew up in, uh, you know, in a, in a really good sort of healthy Christian environment, a lot of times the way that we're trained to read the Bible is you open up to a chapter, you read a chapter, and then you kind of journal on it, and then you're done for the day. And so you only get like little bits and pieces. That's why I love that there's this group going on right now in our church where they're reading through the whole Bible in 90 days, which is a really, really cool challenge. But what that does is that it's actually a really beautiful thing is you, you start to read such big sections that suddenly the whole story really starts to come together and make sense. I mean, you know, so like when was the last time maybe you just sat down and you read just the whole book of Ephesians? You know, just from beginning to end, you just read the whole book. It's amazing what happens because you, now you read the whole letter from Paul and you're like, oh, but we often sort of just read little bits and pieces. And then, you know, if you're just kind of sort of here and you didn't grow up in church and this whole like church thing is new to you and it's like, I'm not sure what I believe, then you've probably picked up parts of the story, maybe from some random Christians you've met, maybe some random churches you've attended, or maybe some random movies you've seen about Christians or about faith or about God. And so you've got it pieced together. The point is, is this whole sermon series, we're trying to just take a step back and look at some of the big overarching themes of the scripture so we can get a really, um, a, a much healthier perspective of, of what the whole story is all about. Um, today's topic, everybody, is probably something that you've understood in part, and because of that, uh, you've only really gotten part of the story. Um, this topic that we're going to talk about today is easily misunderstood, and because it's easily misunderstood, it's one, it becomes one of those things where it's easy just to dismiss sort of the, the, the whole story. It's a huge theme in Scripture. That's why we're talking about it today. I really kind of wanted to skip it because I was really having a hard time just like trying to figure out how to communicate it. This is one of those topics where I just wish instead of doing a 
talk on it. Um, I could just take each and every one of you out for coffee for a couple hours and we could just, we could just talk about it. All right? I wish we could do that. That would be way too much coffee for me. All right? So we can't do that. So I got to try to take this big idea and funnel it down into something that's portable and memorable and something that makes sense because it is a difficult topic. The rabbit hole goes really, really deep. And I really, as I was diving into it in these last few weeks leading up to today, I just went deep into the rabbit hole. Um, and it's all fascinating. And if we were to get it, then it really would make the Christian story compelling, liberating, and humbling. What I want to talk to you about this morning are the rules in the Bible. The Bible has a lot of rules, doesn't it? Um, it might actually have less rules than you expect it to have. Um, you, some people look at the Bible and they say like, man, that is just one big rule book. How many rules are in there? Well, really, there's, there's not as many as you think. Um, what I want to talk about is what's commonly referred to as the law. Okay, when you read the Bible, you'll, you'll see, uh, you know, Paul is writing letters to these early churches and he's, he's referring to the law. And you're like, what is the law? What is this? And that's referring back to this thing called the Torah. And the Bible is roughly made up, it's made up of all sorts of different kinds of genres of literature. And one of them is about almost 10% of the Bible has to do with these laws or regulations. And most of it is centered in what's called the Torah, in the very first five books of the Old Testament, particularly um, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Um, it's one of those really interesting, like if you've tried to read the Bible and on your own, you're like, I'm going to read it this year. And so you decide, well, I'm going to read it, start in the beginning, I'm going to start in Genesis. And so you start in Genesis and things are going along okay and you get to some really interesting stories. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that's messed up. And you know, you're reading through and you get through some of the lists of names and you're like, all right, you know, done with the names. But then you get into Exodus and then you start, you encounter this, these rules and rules and rules. And this is where it really starts to trip people out. And this is where it really starts to mess people up. Like, what, what is going on with all of these rules? The Torah has uh, 613, 613 laws or rules or regulations in it. And this is uh, where a lot of people struggle when reading the Bible. Maybe you've really struggled with this. It opens up lots of conundrums and lots of difficult things to kind of wrestle with. What are we supposed to do with all of these laws in the Old Testament. Um, when I talk about the law, usually it comes off, it sounds sort of negative, but really what I want you to see this morning is that the law is actually a good thing. It's important, we need it. Um, it reminds me of uh, like a car horn because I'm one of these people where when I'm driving, I don't like to tick people off when I drive. Um, and I tend to sort of be, you know, I, I want people to like me. So, so I have a trouble using my horn appropriately. I should probably use my horn way more, but I don't because sometimes when I use my horn, I, I'm not angry at all. Like it's, you know, somebody just kind of like is getting too close or maybe somebody's, uh, the green light started, right? And it's like they, they're still sitting there. And so, and I'm not mad. I just want to give them like a nice little like, Move along, you know, beep, beep, it's okay. But whenever you honk a horn, it, it's always, it's ne it comes off negative, doesn't it? And when I hear a horn, I always take it as negative. I'm like, I'm like, step off, buddy, you know? I just wish, I just wish my car was equipped with like three different horns because I feel like that would be much better. I would, we need like, you know, an angry horn because sometimes you need an angry horn, but I feel like you need sort of like an in-between horn that's not angry, just kind of like move along, kind of like maybe, maybe uh, could we bring back the, the old ooga, you know? You can't get angry at a ooga. And then maybe like a, also a horn that's like when you see a friend and you're driving by, you're like, what's up? You know, you need like a horn that does that. 
the law, the law is a little bit similar in that it does, it's doing a lot of things, but sometimes when we read the law or when we hear about it or when we just get the idea of rules in general, it's like we have this adverse reaction to it, like, ooh, law. But really, it's doing all sorts of things all at the same time. It's actually really, really beautiful. And all of it, what I hope to help you see today is all of it leads us to Jesus and to a new kind of freedom, a new kind of freedom that we find in Jesus. Um, so um, there's a lot of misconceptions about the Old Testament. Part of it is just uh, has to do with our culture and our cultural moment. And we read some of that stuff and we're like, oh, what does this mean? It causes angst, confusion, question. Um, one thing that people have struggled with is that it just seems like the God of the Old Testament is just way different than the God of the New Testament. That people read the Old Testament and they're like, man, there's a lot of dying here. And it just doesn't seem like it really squares with what Jesus is talking about in the New Testament. Are these two different gods? It's actually caused people to come up with all sorts of different kinds of strange theologies. Like there were these two gods, this like yin and yang thing. And, you know, there's this God of the Old Testament, God of the New Testament. It's confusing because it just, they just seem so different from one another. And then some of these laws uh, just make God sound really uptight. Just make him sound like, like just such a, just, he just loves making these rules. Because some of these rules are just so specific. And you're like, man, God just seems like he's, he's just, you know, like, he's just really uptight about stuff. Some of the laws are really, 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 really strange. You read through and there's laws about building handrails on your roof in case somebody falls off your roof. Uh, there's laws about not eating bats or owls. Um, don't dig holes that animals can fall into. Don't wear clothes made from two, two different kinds of fabric. Um, don't boil a baby goat in its mother's milk. That one's a classic one. There's this verse in there that says, don't boil a baby goat in its mother's milk. And I just want you to know, everybody, that I'm walking in freedom in this area right now, okay? I've, I, am, I am, you know, I'm doing really good in this area. In fact, I've never boiled a goat in anything ever. And so you come across these passages and you're like, what? seriously, what am I supposed to do with these? I mean, these are just so specific. Some of them are strange. Now, some of them, when we come across them, they make sense. In fact, there's a list of some laws that when we even today look at them, they still make sense. There's 10 of them. You know which ones I'm talking about? Yeah. So you, we look at the Ten Commandments and we're like, okay, don't murder. That's good. Don't commit adultery. Awesome tracking with that one. You know, we read some of the laws and we're like, okay, like this is what I'm talking about. But then we read some other ones. Not only are some of them strange, but some of them are downright embarrassing for us in our culture today. Some of them are just barbaric. Some of them have to do with stonings and harsh punishments and eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. If this happens, then cut off that person's hand. You're like, whoa, like what kind of a, what kind of a, like what's going on here? What am I supposed to do with this? Uh, first, let's go through some of, there's, you can categorize these laws in all sorts of different ways. This, these are my categories. Um, but you can categorize these laws in, in all sorts of different ways. Uh, there's calendar laws. So there has to do with different festivals and how to, how to um, celebrate those festivals. And Sabbath laws have to do with the calendar laws. Once a week, the Israelite people were supposed to stop everything and rest. And so there's a lot of sort of laws that try to help make rest possible. Um, there's sacrificial laws that has to do with they would take their, their sacrifices to the temple. And, and, you know, there's all sorts of rules and regulations about how to do that and what kind of animals to take. And when you get to some of those passages in the Old Testament, you're like, whoa, like, oh my gosh, this is, well, what, am, what do I do with this? The sacrificial laws, they're bringing their, their, their sacrifices to the temple. There's dietary laws. 
So there's don't eat shellfish, you know, pork obviously is, is a big deal. You have to prepare the food in a certain, a certain way. You have to drain it of all of its blood. These are like the kosher laws that still a lot of Jewish people still adhere to. There's dietary things. There's purity laws. And what that has to do with like, with like bodily fluids, you know, like what are you supposed to do with this and that? And like if this happens and you have to go outside of the camp for seven days and wash this many times. And again, you're, we, we read that from our context and we're like, man, this is so strange. Why are these laws in here? And then there's civil laws. These just have to do with getting along with one another. Because there's all sorts of people all kind of crammed together. It's like going on a big camping trip with, you know, hundreds of thousands of people and all of your stuff is there. I mean, there's going to be like conflict. There's going to be like, you know, my dog attacks your dog accidentally. And so, you know, like what, how do we handle that? And so there's all these laws that have to do with like kind of civil laws included in all in those things is our sexual laws here. Here's how, here's how sex is supposed to be. Here's what you can't do. Here's what you can do. Um, There's financial laws like having to do with charging interest. And if somebody owes you money, do this. And then there's farming and animal laws and all those things. And then there's just like other laws that are really hard really hard to categorize anywhere else. Um, Like ones having to do with like when you go into battle, here's how you should engage in, you know, here's what you should do with your captives once you capture them. Here's what you do with like this, if you have slaves, here's how you treat them. I mean, we get to those passages and we're just embarrassed, like, oh my goodness, slaves, what do I do? And really all of these laws are trying to like create this people that God is calling out of these surrounding people and he's trying to make them this next word which is a word that we've all heard but it's a word that sometimes gets misunderstood trying to make them holy now you got to unpack this word because when we hear holy it makes it sound like God's Uh, thinks that these people are better than everybody else and that God's trying to make these people better than everybody else. Um, Like, like we, we use it sometimes as, as holier than thou, you know, and that is not what this word means. That's not what God was trying to do uh, with these Israelite people that God is trying to, he's trying to pull them out of the nation so that he could be king over them so that they could be a light to all the nations. So all the nations could see what it looks like when they make God king over, over their people group and that God was going to do something in them. And so that's why God gives them, God gives them laws. God gives them rules because they are his and he's trying to create something out of them. He's trying to do something in their hearts and he's trying to make them holy. And the word holy doesn't mean better than. The word holy just means set apart, different. God's trying to pull the Israelites out from all these other people groups who have got all sorts of crazy things going on. They're living their lives in all sorts of different kind of strange ways. And God's trying to pull them out. And he says, listen, I'm going to make you distinct. And so some of these laws, like don't wear two kinds of fabric. You're like, oh man, what, what does that mean? Well, God's doing something there. He's like trying to separate them so that they, they're living this different, distinctly different life than the people around them. And through that, God's hoping that people can see what kind of people it creates. Now, it doesn't go very well. In fact, that's, guys, the whole, one of the whole points of God giving the law is that he's trying to show us something that we couldn't see on our own if we just, if we, if we didn't have these laws to, to try and follow, if the Israelites didn't have these laws, these, these, uh, sorry, these laws to try to follow. Um, um, so God's given him all these laws. I just gave you all these different categories. And so it begs the question, and Christians have been wrestling this for forever, what are we in 2020 supposed to do with all these? And it makes it really hard when Jesus shows up And you know what Jesus says? I'm going to read it to you. It's from Matthew chapter 5. This is right when Jesus is starting to go into this really famous sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. And listen to what Jesus says. Jesus just makes it, it seems like he makes it even more confusing for us. He says this, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. 
I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter nor the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the kind of people who were the best rule followers of, of the day, who followed the Torah just meticulously, he says, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. <sighs> Jesus, what are you saying? So are you saying like, I'm, I'm like breaking so many laws right now. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what my clothes are made out of. I probably broke, you know, we've all broken probably t tons of these Old Testament laws just by, you know, did anybody eat bacon this morning? Anybody have some delicious bacon? You broke the Torah this morning. Okay, thank you for admitting. So what are, you, what are we supposed to do? And so, you know, and because Jesus seems to be saying that this is what we, we need to follow the law. Okay, here's how I want to help is there's one way to think about this, all right? And I think it's the wrong way to think about it. But let me show you this little graph that I made to try to help us understand. But one way that people think that what, how we're supposed to do this is that, see all these circles down here? That these are all the laws that God gave. There's 613 of them in the Torah. And that those laws were for Israel, but they're also for us. They're also for like what God expects for all humans to do, especially Christians to do. And that those laws were for Israel and us, and that this is the way for us to relate to God. And maybe perhaps this is what you thought about the Bible. You thought that the Bible was a rule book, and if we just follow the rules, if we just do what God asks us to do, then he'll love us, and then he'll let us into heaven when we die. And that that's the point of the Bible. And a lot of people view the Bible and view Christianity as just this sort of set of follow these morals. And they're going to be different than, you know, some of the other world religions morals. But whatever, follow these, these morals and then God will love you. And so that's what, what people think about what the Bible is all about. And especially what these Old Testament laws may be all about. But there's a lot of problems with this. There's a whole lot of problems with this. Number one is, if this is true, if, if the, for us to get into God's good graces and to kind of like be in his favor is for us to follow the laws, all of them, um, then we come into some really big problems. First of all, there's some really, there's some really barbaric sort of laws in there. And so that means like, really, we're going to stone people now, God? Is that what you really want us to do? I mean, are we, is that what you're asking, calling us into? And you want us to take over whole people groups and... Like, wait, what? And so it causes people to say, number one, is if this is true, let's just throw the whole thing out. God must, if God re even exists, he must, be, he must be a really nasty God. So let's just get rid of this whole thing. I mean, this whole thing just must be bogus. That's one response. The other response is that somebody could say, well, why don't we just then, you know, we can't do them all, so why don't we just pick the ones that we want? We'll just pick some of them but not do some of the other ones. And that's what a lot of people sort of think that we should do with the Old Testament law. But that comes up with problems as well because perhaps you've gotten a conversation with somebody where their big hang-up is that Christians seem to do this with the Old Testament. And they say this. They say, hey, so you're not wearing clothes made of two different kinds of fabric and you're not listening to that law. But the laws about homosexuality, oh, so you're gonna, th those you're going to take but not these laws and these laws and these laws. What's your deal? Who gets to decide which laws you follow in the Old Testament and which ones you don't? And if you've got like a skeptic that's asking you some of those questions, you might be like, 
yeah, well, um, just, just, that's just what God wants us to do. You know what I mean? I don't know. I don't know what your answer would be, but there's, you know, you, you run into problems when we just start to like pick and choose. The other problem that you can run to with this model is that then we just think, well, that means that we must have to do them all. We just need to do them all. But that's a problem too. In fact, one guy, one guy, he's famous for doing this. His name is A.J. Jacobs, I think. Um, and he wrote a book called The Year of Living, Living Biblically. And so he just decided for a whole year he was going to just follow every single one of the Old Testament commands that he could find in the Bible to the best of his ability. And so he's been, and he, he wrote a book about it and he talked to me, he did tons of interviews about it. In fact, here's a picture of him hailing a cab in New York City with a shafar. He's literally, he's literally doing it. I mean, he's literally wearing the clothes and he's going out there and he, you know, he's trying to follow all the laws and he comes to the conclusion at the end of it all that it's like, that it's impossible. And you know what? He's right. Because the idea of trying to follow all of those laws and that God gave them to the Israelites because they were supposed to follow them all in order for them to get into his good graces is really just an adventure in, in missing the point. It's missing the whole point. God's up to something so much different than just here's a list of laws. I want you to do them. And if you, if you can jump through these hoops, then I will love you and then I will bless you. It's way different than that. Christianity is not based on a system like that. It's actually way better than that. It's way, way better. So a couple things. The problem with this model right here, if we could keep that. No, not this guy. Sorry. Um, go back to that one graph that I had. The problem with viewing it like, uh, yes, like this is twofold. Really, number one, the problem is we are not good at obeying. The human heart is just so not good at obeying. You give me a rule, and automatically there's something in me that wants to break that rule. Am I alone in that? Anybody? Anybody? There's, there's this really great place around the corner from our office called Sweet Tree Cafe. I highly recommend the breakfast burrito with the sausage. It's delicious. One of the best, best breakfast burritos in town. You go into the Sweet Tree Cafe and you use the men's restroom. And you go in the men's restroom and there's this, like, there's this piece of the wall in the men's restroom that has obviously been cut out. And it's been taped over with like, you know, packing tape. And it says, it says do not touch this. And every time I'm in there, I just, I just want to touch it, you know? I just really want to. I mean, it's just like, don't put a th sign there that says don't do this because my heart, I just want to do it. We just have these hearts that just aren't adverse to just being good rule followers. So number one, we're not good rule followers. Rules won't work. Rules upon rules upon rules, it won't work. But here, it gets worse. It gets worse. Because what if you were able to follow all the rules? What if you could follow all the rules? Instead of that turning into worship and life and vitality, you know what that turns into? It turns into arrogance, pride, and snobbery. This is the big problem with the law. Because it produces two things. It either produces despair because you can't obey them. Or it produces pride. Because look at me. Look at how good I am at following these rules. God must really love me. And those people out there that aren't following the rules like me, God does not love them as much as he loves me. And that's, that kind of religiosity has caused so much pain and death in the world. And Jesus is coming and God has got this vision of something completely different than that. It's different than that. Three things. The law reveals God's wisdom. The law reveals our problem and then third, the law reveals the solution our hearts ache for. All right, just three things. I'll try to get it through them. The law reveals God's wisdom. 
It reveals our problem, and the law reveals the solution our hearts ache for and long for. Okay, so the first one is the law reveals God's wisdom. Um, when you read those Old Testament laws, they do seem strange to us because we live in 2020. We just live in a completely different context. But the first thing we have to recognize is that a God that gives laws makes sense, right? Just a God that just give law, gives laws in general, it makes sense. In our society, we don't just give laws to criminals. We give laws to people that we love. I grew up in a home that had some rules. Did anybody else have rules in their home? Anybody? Yeah, I had this one rule in my home. You're not allowed to shoot your brother with an arrow. All right? What kind of a lame rule is that, you know? I mean, our house had all sorts of different rules. And it wasn't because my parents didn't love me. Um, it's because what? They profoundly loved me. That's, that's, there's a good reason for rules. I have three boys and a baby girl. There's all sorts of rules in our house, okay? Dawson, my three-year-old, does not quite understand electricity yet. So we've got some rules surrounding electricity, and we've got some rules upon the rules upon the rules because he doesn't understand it yet. So the idea that, you know, this God, he just makes rules, and, you know, that means he must be approved. No, no, no. Actually, the fact that God gives some laws actually proves that he cares, that he loves us, especially considering that God is giving laws and rules to people um, in an ancient context. They're in this ancient Near Eastern context where they don't have, uh, you know, one of the best classes that I took at the University of Oregon when I was there, I took this class called The History of Modern Warfare. It was, in, it, was, it was the best class I ever took at the University of Oregon. It was so interesting. And one of the things I learned is that more people have died on the battlefield from germs than any bullets, bombs, or, or yeah, anything else. That when you've got that amount of people traveling around just in the muck and in the mire, I mean, there's just disease just has come through and wiped out so many people. Remember that God is giving rules to people here who do not have a germ theory of disease yet. They have no idea like how, you know, how germs and how people get sick. And so here's God giving them rules about, hey, when this happens, go outside of the camp, wash seven times. And we read that and we're like, oh, that sounds prudish. Well, maybe actually this is actually really loving. <laughs> maybe this is a God that's just like, just coming in close and trying to help people in their context because they don't quite understand it yet. Um, the, the idea that God gives laws, it makes sense. But I know what you might be thinking. You might be thinking, okay, laws are good. I get that, Brooks. That's not hard to, to convey. But, but like good laws are good. What about some of these other laws in here that just seem so backwards? Slaves, really? Like Killing, like stoning people, like these obviously are not good laws. Um, well, how are we supposed to view all of that? Well, uh, I hesitate showing you this next slide because it's kind of confusing. But can we show it to you? Because this is my how to view the laws 2.0, all right? Um, by the way, this is just kind of where I'm at right now. Maybe I'll preach this differently, differently in three years. You know, I don't know. But let's view the laws like this. I think this is a more accurate sort of biblical, biblical way to view the old, these Old Testament laws. That God gave these laws, but he gave them to Israel. He gave them to a group of people, like I said, who didn't understand the, the germ theory of disease. That in a way, God is sort of, God is sort of uh, you know, he's, he's compromising a little bit with this people, okay? They're, they're in a brutal society, a very brutal society where, you know, if, if they're not, if they're not, if they don't have like an army, then they're going to be crushed in no matter, no, in like no time at all. 
all right? So God is letting them sort of like be this warrior tribe and they go out and fighting people. And does God want like us today still to be going out like, you know, killing people with swords? No, he doesn't. And he doesn't want them to do that either. But at the same time, he's got to meet them where they're at. He's going to give them laws and rules that are going to like make sense in their context. And he's got to work with them as he finds them. Just like, just like, I was trying to think of an example of this. You know, I wish Dawson, my son, my three-year-old, would be able to help chop vegetables at my house, you know, for dinner. But I, I just probably shouldn't hand him a knife, right? <laughs> he's not ready for a knife yet. Now, I would love for him to be able to handle a knife. And someday he will. But I shouldn't hand him a knife. That's just going to end badly. Or it's like, I wish I didn't have to change diapers right now. Guys, I really wish I was out of the diaper stage. But we are deep in the diaper stage right now. And we're in the potty training stage. And guys, my house is, my house is just gross. All right? It's just weird there at my house. I mean, there's just like diaper stuff. Sorry for all the people we've had over recently. We cleaned, all right? We cleaned well. We sanitized well. But I wish I didn't have to deal with diapers, right? That's not my ideal state for my children, all right? I hope that they're in their 20s and out of diapers. That's going to be a, that's gonna be a big win for, for every human being, correct? And so God has got to meet these people, these, Old Test- these, these ancient people, and he's got to deal with some diapers. He's got to deal with just where they're at in their development. And so when we read some of these kind of strange laws, like, oh, my gosh, just know that God's, God's working with them. Step by step, and remember this, and I don't have time to go into this today really deep because the rabbit hole goes really deep here, but if we were to really understand the context that they were in, and if we were really to understand the law codes of all the different people groups that were surrounding them, that the Israelites lived among, we would see these laws as being, some of them as subtly revolutionary and many of them as as overtly revolutionary. We read some of these Old Testament laws and it seems like women are really marginalized and pushed down. But if we were to read them in the perspective of how women fared in other cultures at the time, we would see that these laws are a huge, huge improvement. How slaves were treated, how prisoners were treated, all of it across the board. That we would see God giving these people these laws that were revolutionary. They seem archaic to us. But we need to look at it through their lens. God is doing something. He's taking them step by step. He's trying to create a different kind of people. And all the while, it's pointing to something bigger than itself. All the while, all these laws are pointing to something bigger than just the laws. It's pointing to this, to God's wisdom. Can we put this this next slide up? That God gave the laws to Israel. But guys, these laws, these weren't just like God saying, God, or these, these laws weren't God saying, do these laws. And then if you do them, then uh, you'll be in my good graces and I'll love you back. God is saying, hey, I'm going to give you some laws in your context, but these laws are pointing to my great wisdom. It's pointing to what it looks like to actually live and walk in the kingdom. It points, these laws point to, I don't want to just give you laws. I want you to be able to have a transformed heart. And that's what these laws are trying to point the people to. And that is what the purpose of the law is for Israel and for us. So the guy who says, I'm going to live biblically for a year because this is what God expects from us, apparently, he's missed the point because God isn't expecting us to do these ones down here. He wanted the Israelites to do that because he's trying to teach them something. He's trying to show them something. We're going to tease it out here in a second, what he's trying to show them. But we're supposed to read the law and we're supposed to see God's wisdom underneath it. What's shining through it? What is this pointing towards? 
What was God trying to show them in that culture? And that means, what, what, is, what does that mean for us? Now, if that sounds foreign to you, listen, this is exactly what Jesus is doing when he's walking around and talking. Remember that passage that I read to you about Jesus saying, don't let one jot or, you know, one, one mark move away from, from the law because it's, it needs to all be accomplished. And your righteousness has to surpass that of the Pharisees. Remember that? Let's, let's read that in context. Look at what Jesus is about to do, guys. And this is really the hinge. If you miss anything else that I've said this morning, this is it. Look what Jesus is doing here. He says this, I'll start from the top again in verse 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but I've come to fulfill them. Not just do them correctly. Notice what he says, I've come to fulfill them. They are pointing to something and I am going to come and I'm going to step into that space. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches them, teaches others accordingly, will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. What commands is he talking about? Is he talking about the Old Testament law? Well, remember, this is in the middle of the Sermon of the Mount. Jesus is taking the Old Testament law and he's just flipping it. He's, he's showing us what they were meant for in the first place. And so when Jesus says, follow these commands, he's talking about these commands that he's giving them right now. Blessed are the poor, blessed are the meek, blessed are the humble, for they shall see God. He's talking about all these things. And then he continues. He says, whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus, how do we surpass the righteousness of the Pharisees? They're so good at following all of these laws. They follow so many of them. How is my righteousness sort of supposed to surpass them, God, Jesus? And Jesus says, I'll tell you. I'll tell you. Because what I'm asking you to do isn't to follow just the letter of the law because it's written down. I'm asking you to find the source of wisdom and to follow what it's pointing towards. And this is what he does next. Listen, this is what he says. Verse 21, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago that you shall not murder and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. And everyone's thinking, do not murder. Good, all right, I haven't done that yet. So I'm good, right, Jesus? And Jesus says, but I tell you, anyone who is angry with a brother or a sister will be subject to judgment. Jesus is saying the point of saying do not murder isn't that we would just look at that command and say, Check, I haven't murdered anyone. You're good, right, God? We're good, right? But no, the point of God saying do not murder is that there's a heart underneath it. That when we start to harbor bitterness towards each other, when we start to gossip against one another, that it be, this is the beginnings of death. This is the beginnings of murder in our heart. And that what God's asking us for isn't just to like follow the law, don't murder, although I think you should follow that law. And Jesus does too. <laughs> but the point is, is you gotta go deeper. There's something underneath it that it's pointing towards. And if you don't deal with that, then you haven't, then you, you're not following the law. And he goes on to the next one. He says, and you have heard, this is in verse 27, you have heard that it is said that you shall not commit adultery. And everybody's like, oh, great. I haven't committed adultery. I'm good, right, God? He says, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. 
Stop it, Jesus. It's so much easier if you just give us the laws and then we'll just do those laws and then we're good, right? But Jesus isn't going to do that with us. He's going to push us further. He's going to go down underneath it. He's going to get to the heart of everything because he loves you, because he loves me, because he wants our hearts. He doesn't just want our begrudging obedience to a list of rules. So much better than that. Classically, in Matthew chapter 22, Jesus is asked, which is the greatest commandment in the law? They come to him and they say, all right, Jesus, can you just boil it down for us? What's the greatest commandment? And Jesus says this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. They ask for one, but he's going to give them two. And he says, the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. Listen, all of the law and the prophets are pointing to that. It's pointing to a transformed heart. Okay, that's God's wisdom of the law. But next is the law reveals our problem because our problem is, is we, can't, we can't obey the law completely. We, we have these hearts that just, it's hard for us to love God with everything we have and it's hard for us to love people with everything he gives us. It's just a challenge for us and we're constantly failing at it. So if that's the test, then we fail the test over and over and over and over again. And plus, the answer isn't just give humans a bunch of rules because we have proved time and time again that a list of rules isn't going to go deep enough. It reveals our problem. And this is Paul's whole, whole argument in the book of Romans. It says all throughout the book of Hebrews, especially in Romans 7, this is Paul's whole argument. The law isn't enough to transform our hearts. And that leads us to the end, which is the solution. The solution. Written in this law is the solution that our hearts ache for. Because God wants us to be people with transformed hearts. And the prophets would look at the Old Testament. They would see all these laws. And that they, would, they would have these inklings, these like whispers of something else has got to happen. Something else. The point is that we can't just obey all the laws and everything is fine. We can't do it. It's like we need a new way. It's like we need a new heart. It's like we need a new spirit. And so the prophet Jeremiah steps on in, verse, in chapter 31. He says this. The prophet Jeremiah says, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. And, I will not, and it will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt, because they broke my, my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. He says, I will put my law in their minds and I will write it in their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. Jeremiah has this vision that it's not going to be these lists of rules on a piece of paper that make us right with God, that something's going to happen in our hearts. What is it? How are we going to have that thing happen? Prophet Ezekiel says it this way. He says, for I will take you out of the nations. This is God speaking to the people of Israel. I will take you out of the nations and I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. And I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all of your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh. See all these different metaphors that these prophets are just saying that rules aren't enough. Following them is never going to transform our hearts. We need a new heart. We need a new spirit in us. God is not asking for people 
to just follow some rules. It's never going to be good enough. Your heart won't be transformed by that. What God wants is for people to be wise, to hear his voice, and to walk with the Holy Spirit, to walk in his kingdom. That's what he's hoping will happen. And this is... And this is why Jesus steps onto the scene and says, I have come to fulfill the law. Because in Jesus' life and in his death, he dies the death that we deserve for disobeying the law. He lives a life that is perfectly in sync with the law, not the written letter of the law like the Pharisees expected, but he's embodying the whole point of the law to love God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love people. Jesus is walking right in the middle of that lane and he does it perfectly as any human being has ever done. He did it perfectly and therefore he's the one that fulfills the law for us. And in his death, he pays for our our lawlessness, but in his resurrection, Jesus paves a way for us to have a new heart, a new spirit, a new life, so that we can be people that have new hearts. This is what the grace of Jesus does for you. Here's what the grace of Jesus does for me. It frees us from the law. It frees us from the law, but it actually puts us in a place where now we have hearts that are full of grace. And therefore, we don't just have to obey. I get to obey. I get to obey. This is the beautiful news. Listen, um, my time's just about up, but I feel like this is one of those we're going to close here, but this is just one of those talks where I just, I, wanna, I don't want it to be confusing because it's just a big, huge topic. Um, so I didn't tell you this beforehand, but did you guys know that it's movie day today? It's movie day. Yeah, you didn't know. Yay, it's movie day. So listen, um, I want to play this video from the Bible Project. So helpful. As the video is playing, the band's going to come up. And as we close this video, it just really says everything that I just said and in just a much better way, we're going to respond. Can we do that? Let's play that video. You're most likely familiar with the Ten Commandments in the Bible, stuff we generally take as good advice. Don't murder, don't steal, honor your parents, the list goes on. And those are just the first ten. There are actually a total of 613 commands, all given to ancient Israel, found in the first five books of the Bible, which in Hebrew are called the Torah. Now the word Torah is usually translated in English as the law, because it has all of these laws in it. And as you read through them, you wonder, Am I supposed to obey some of these, all of these? I mean, what's the purpose of the law? Well, that translation is kind of confusing because while the Torah has laws in it, the book itself is fundamentally a story about how God is creating new kinds of people who are fully able to love God and love others. And when Jesus taught about the Torah, he said that he was bringing that story to its fulfillment. So walk me through the story and how it's fulfilled. So the story begins with God creating humanity who rebels. And God chooses Abraham to bless all of the nations through his family, who end up in slavery down in Egypt, and so God rescues them. Then at Mount Sinai, God makes a covenant with Israel, like an agreement. And all of the laws that Moses gives to Israel are the terms of that agreement. They're like a constitution. And so some of the laws, they're about rituals and customs that set Israel apart from the nations. Other laws are about social justice or morality. And by following these, Israel would show the other nations what God is like. Okay, so the rest of the Torah is just the complete list of laws that Moses gives Israel? Mm, No, the rest of the Torah just continues the story. And the 613 commands are only a selection from that original constitution. And even these have been broken up and placed at strategic points within the story. Now pay attention because you'll see a really clear pattern. Moses gives the first laws to Israel. Don't worship other gods. Don't make idols. 
And then right after that, there's a story of Israel breaking those very laws. Yeah, they worship the golden calf. And so Moses gives some more laws. And then you get more stories of rebellion. Some more laws, rebellion again, some more laws, more rebellion. And you start to see the point. Right, no matter how many laws, they're just going to continue to rebel. So at the conclusion of the Torah story, Moses gives this final speech to Israel as they prepare to go into their new home. And he tells them, you guys, I know that you're not going to follow all of God's laws. You've proven to me that you're incapable. And Moses says the problem is that their hearts are hard and that they're going to need new transformed hearts if they're ever going to truly follow God's law. And he was right. I mean, the story goes on to recount Israel's total failure. They go into the land, they break all the laws. Right. Now, the next section of books in the Jewish tradition are the 15 books of the prophets, and they reflect back on the story. For example, Ezekiel, he said that if Israel was ever going to obey the law, God's spirit would have to transform their hard hearts into soft hearts. And Jeremiah said that's when obedience to God's commands wouldn't feel like a duty, but they would be written deep in their hearts. And Isaiah, he promised a future leader, Israel's Messiah, who will lead all of the people in obedience to the law. Now, in Jewish tradition, all of these books together are called the prophets, even the historical books, because they're continuing the story told from the perspective of the prophets. Okay, so we have the law and the prophets, and they're telling one connected story about God's desire to bless the whole world through a people, Israel, who it turns out needs a new heart. Yes, and Jesus saw himself as continuing that story. So he agreed with the law and the prophets when he taught that it's out of the human heart that come the most ugly parts of human nature. It's like the default setting of our hearts is opposed to God's law. But Jesus also said that he came to solve that problem and in his words, to fulfill the law. So what does he mean there to fulfill the law? Well, first he said that the demand of all of the laws in the Torah could be fulfilled by what he called the great command, that we are to love God and to love others. So that seems pretty easy. I mean, we all want to love. Well, we think we want to love. But Jesus showed how love is far more demanding than we realize. So he quotes the law, do not murder. And he says, yes, not killing someone is a very loving thing to do. But then he also says that when you treat someone with disrespect or when you nurse resentment against them, you're also violating God's moral ideal because you're not treating that person with love. And so Jesus said true love ought to extend even to our own enemies. So even though this command seems very simple, Jesus showed how our hearts are not currently equipped to fulfill even this basic command of God to love others. And that's kind of a downer. But where Israel failed, Jesus brought this story to its fulfillment. As Israel's Messiah, he fully loved God and others. And he showed all of the nations what God is truly like. He did this through his acts of compassion and mercy and ultimately by loving his enemies even unto death. And after his resurrection, he told his followers that he would send God's spirit to transform their hearts so that they could follow him and fulfill the purpose of the law, to love God and to love their neighbor. So this fulfills the story of the law and the prophets, or in the words of the apostle Paul, the one who loves fulfills the law. We need new hearts. Can we just come to him this morning? And maybe you just need a new heart this morning. Maybe you've never asked uh, for a new heart. Maybe you thought it was about following rules. And I hope just this morning you can see that it's so much better than that. God wants to do something so much deeper in us. And that's good news for all of us. That's good news for our world. 
because it creates people who have transformed hearts, not people who are religious. The world needs less of that, and they need more people with people. They need, the world needs more people with hearts that are soft and I follow and walk in the way of Jesus.